time you delegate a task, you say non-verbally to that person, I value how you can contribute here. Here's your next step for learning. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. And on today's podcast, we have Dr. Wendy Ward. Hi, Wendy. Hi. Well, Wendy, everything you've been giving is so great. These 10 questions specifically, we love them. 10 questions preparing for promotion, for work-life balance, for leadership skills, 10 questions to ask your mentor. What is on the lineup today? I was thinking today, 10 things you can do to build your clinic-based teaching skill. Clinic-based teaching skills. Okay, sounds great. Yeah, I, I often work with faculty who have heavy clinical loads and then feel that they have additional uh, teaching expectations in the midst of trying to handle a very fast-paced clinical environment. And they want to do a good job, but sometimes it's hard to know the right approach to be best for their own reduction of stress, but also best in terms of quality teaching for these trainees. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I put on the list, and that's something that I believe very strongly is enthusiasm. Anytime you teach with passion, your learners will hear, listen, and benefit. And everyone has a passion for a different aspect of a clinical environment. Sometimes it's the type of patient, sometimes it's the venue, other times it's something else unique to you. But if you can find what you're passionate about and focus on that in your teaching, weave it into what you need to cover with those trainees, you're going to find that they're very, very engaged with what you have to say. Number two is to be supportive and compassionate and accessible. And I think of this almost similar to patient and family-centered care, where we are trying to be available, focused on the needs of the patients and the families, have lots of time for them to ask questions and bring forth their needs. And I think of that um, same approach really working well with students. So when you're meeting them for the most time, asking them, what do you most want to get out of today's shadow or today or this month's rotation or, or whatever it is, depending on the level of learner, I'm really thinking through how can you compassionately connect with that learner? How can you be supportive of their learning and accessible in the midst of a, a really busy clinical environment? There's still ways to um, make sure that you're accessible. Mm -hmm. One of those is item number three, being organized, planning ahead for their visit, whether they're with you for, again, for a month, a week, or just a day of shadowing. Um, making sure that you're prepared for them coming and know what it is that you want to cover. So being organized, planning ahead. And then number four, making sure you know the level of learner. So when I have a shadower, younger learner, um, maybe a med student or a graduate student who's rotating with me, the kinds of questions and things that I'm going to talk about with that learner are different than if I have, let's say, the other end of the learning spectrum, a postdoctoral fellow who's going to be working with me for the year and the kinds of things they need to learn uh, from me in those early days are going to be quite a bit different. So if you think about level of learner and what they're looking for from you and also what level experience they have. So talking about in-depth clinical things with someone who's just on their first clinical rotation probably isn't a good fit. So spending some time, of course, getting organized, number three, and then identifying and preparing for the level of learner, number four. Mm -hmm. 
The fifth suggestion is to do a pre-huddle, and those people that work with me have heard this over and over and over. You cannot just start a learning experience and expect everybody to get it. You have to have a pre-huddle to identify what are the goals of what we're going to do today. Is it a certain patient group? Is it a certain flow? What does the flow look like? Is it an interprofessional team or a uniprofessional team that is providing the care? So sort of orienting them to the target patient population, the flow, and then also what their role is. If you have a shadower, you can just say, hey, today you're just shadowing but I'm going to expect you to ask questions later, or I'm going to want you to let me know your observations of each patient later. So if you can be looking for that and mindful of that, that will help our conversations as we go through the day, as opposed to a fellow who may have much higher expectations for what they are going to be able to do in the assessment and treatment process. But if you clarify expectations, they feel less worried, nervous, more uh, Paired, right? And then you're also ready for what to ask them throughout the day. Yeah, that's great. So Nobody that, wants to be surprised. And I think it would really not only minimize the anxiety, but builds a relationship of trust because you're not, they know then that you're not going to just try to throw them a curveball and you're not trying to catch them unaware. So yeah, that sounds to me really uh, an honest relationship building tool. Exactly, exactly. And so it's one part relationship building, trust building. It's a time for you to share a few things about your passion for the work you do. That helps with connection and engagement. It's also part orientation. So you're giving them an understanding, a cognitive schemata, if you will, for what the day looks like in this particular clinical world. So, and then number six, really modeling for them best practices. I I don't support the idea that if they just kind of follow you, they'll automatically get it. But if you're modeling best practices, and then you can talk about it later, well, what did you see me do that you thought was effective? Sort of trying to ask those questions to pull for their observations in strategic ways, that can be really, really powerful. So if you're modeling those best practices, that's a good first start toward those deeper discussions later. Number seven is to delegate tasks that build confidence. So even with shadowers who are early on just trying to figure it all out and meekly watching and maybe taking some notes to ask you later, there might be as the day or the week or the month rotation goes on, there might be tasks that they are capable of doing. And anytime you delegate a task, you say non-verbally to that person, I value how you can contribute here. Here's your next step for learning. And so even if they don't do the task well, it's another uh, opportunity for feedback and then give them another try. Now, you don't want to throw them in the deep end and give them a whole bunch of tasks, particularly tasks that aren't appropriate for that level of learner. But you can slowly but surely delegate some things and then give them feedback. That can really build clinical confidence quickly. Yeah. Number eight is to think carefully about the difference between teaching and facilitating. And we know the old school practice of asking questions and putting them on the spot or just telling them what they need to know in rapid fire. And what we know about that approach in a fast-paced clinical environment is very small percentage of that sticks. They don't remember all those lovely nuggets of information that we're imparting to those individuals, or they felt so on the spot and anxious that the learning was interrupted because of the emotional state. So to have you think about what point 
in the day are good teaching points where you might provide a mini lecture or, or some uh, bulleted pieces of information, and where might you ask questions to get them to start thinking in a way that promotes clinical analysis, that promotes deepening of thought, it, it promotes pulling together different pieces of information and synthesizing it. Uh, and the way to do that is some open-ended questions. Again, thinking of level of learner. So for someone who's shadowing in a clinic and it's their first time with your target population, you might ask a question, what today seems similar across most or all of the patients? What look like differences, ways that each patient was different across the series that you saw today? Those are good sort of really pulling good. together, sizing, yeah. Whereas with a more advanced learner, you might ask some more technical questions, like what did you see happening in my assessment of this patient that might be a barrier to adherence later? So you're looking for observation, but also applying it to a treatment plan or a clinical care context. So asking those questions, deepening the learning, and we know that students learn more and retain more when there is a facilitation approach as opposed to a teaching approach. Mm -hmm. So have you be mindful of that and think about that as you're planning for your next clinical teaching experience. Mm -hmm. Number nine is to include the patient. So having patients give feedback, a lot of people feel very uncomfortable about this, but if you're in a clinic world where having students is a common thing and you think your patients, particularly some of them, are comfortable and interact well with student learners, then you could legitimately ask them for some feedback. How, when Dr. So-and-so was here and taking your um, history, how did that go? You can ask them for some feedback. And oftentimes, that raw sort of transparent answer can be really helpful in building uh, confidence in our clinical trainees, but also giving some feedback that the trainee maybe didn't think of. And if you weren't in the room when they were doing that history, you might not have known as well. So I would encourage you with, with um, forethought, uh, including the patient into some of that teaching. On the same vein, I'd include peers. So if you have more than one uh, who are shadowing at the same time, it often can be helpful for them to give each other some feedback. So one might watch the other get a history, and then when you come back, sort of debrief together. You have to set a, a culture of support around that peer back opportunity, but when you do that, they can be very kind, but also very insightful in each other's behaviors. Mm -hmm. Good. Number 10, I would think about EHR and how documentation um, could be a learning tool. For instance, there are some um, situations where your learner may be able to document some things in the EHR, either for you as a scribe or in addition to you, and you want to make sure if you want that done well, that you give them some training in how to access it, what kinds of things you want in your note um, or in their note that you then address and co-sign. So doing some specific training in EHR, I think, goes a long way to re reducing the stress on you and on them with the documentations that will have to happen during the day. Mm -hmm. And if you have a shadower, having them watch you as you're documenting can be really helpful learning option for those who aren't yet making their own notes. Mm -hmm. And then last but not least, the debrief. I always suggest at the end of the day, just like the pre-huddle, to have some time not hurried by patient care, but to be able to see what was most meaningful to your student about the day. 
what kinds of things are they going to take away with them that they will remember? And ask them that. They will commonly surprise you at what nugget they're pulling away as opposed to what you thought you might be uh, imparting to them. And then you also can use that debrief to solidify learning things that you were giving feedback on that they were getting better at or things that they did well at the outset that you think is a real strength. It's a good thing to do as people are emerging clinicians to identify strengths and support them in their continued development. So hopefully that list of 10 will be useful for busy clinicians who have trainees in their environment. Well, no doubt it will. Friends, you've been learning from Dr. Wendy Ward. She just presented 10 wonderful gems for developing your clinical-based teaching skills and perfecting them, and really, really great advice. Thanks again, Wendy. You're wonderful. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.